From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. The new year is already bringing new threats to the Second Amendment, and ironically, those threats to civil rights are coming from a civil rights group. The Southern Poverty Law Center is a large and massively well-funded organization that has lost its way and decided to come after your guns. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek. Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by Lee Williams, Chief Editor of the Second Amendment Foundation's Investigative Journalism Project. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast, and Happy New Year. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate the invite, and Happy New Year to you and yours and all of your members, too. Lee, I wish we had a happier subject to discuss, but every new year brings new threats to civil rights— And ironically, you just wrote a special report about a threat to civil rights coming from a prominent civil rights organization. Now, in your report, you discuss how the Southern Poverty Law Center, a civil rights organization founded about a half century ago, has quietly begun advocating for gun control and against the Second Amendment. Now, you know, we're used to new gun groups popping up uh, now and then. But the SPLC is particularly concerning because they have about a half a billion dollars in assets, or about a billion dollars in assets that they can use toward their goals. And this is a group we've never talked about before. In fact, I just did a search on our website, buckeyefirearms.org, and I couldn't find a single reference. We've never really reported on this organization before. Uh, The tip came from none other than my boss, Alan Gottlieb. Um, who is busy right now seeing things and threats at the national level. And he put two and two together and said, hey, you got to take a look at SPLC. You know, they were a once great organization and they are morphing into a gun control group. Although he didn't realize, and neither did I at the time, how large of a threat they pose. Because if you add up the assets of all the top three anti-gun groups, the the gun ban industry, uh, Giffords and uh, Brady and Everytown, you get about 31 million in assets. And right now, SPLC has more than 800 million in assets. So the top three constitute roughly 3% of what SPLC can bring to the table, which is concerning. Yeah, we saw what happened when Everytown came along, and it has significant funding, you know, way beyond what a lot of other groups do. And uh, we've seen how they've gotten involved in every state. They're right down at the local level. And we always considered them to be pretty well funded. And then and you now you're reporting on Southern Poverty Law Center having nearly a billion dollars, you know, depending on, on what assets they have. And their assets are really spread around in a lot of unusual places. Let's just back up a little bit, though, because— we're not really as familiar with this organization as we are with Giffords or Brady and all of these other organizations we've experienced over the years. What is the Southern Poverty Law Center? I mean, why was this group founded 
about a half century ago, and what really have they done over the years? It was co-founded 51 years ago by Morris Dees. He's, he's until 2019, was their CEO, their president, and their media frontman. It was founded with the most laudable of intentions to fight racism, to fight segregation, to battle Jim Crow laws, to take on the Ku Klux Klan and the Aryan nations. And they had tremendous success in their early years. I mean, they bankrupted uh, several chapters of the Klan, the Aryan nation. They ended up getting their land. Um, it, it was incredibly important work in the South. And they did very well. Unfortunately, Dees started seeing the money roll in after these successes. And at that time, it morphed more into a fundraising organization than anything else. And nowadays, in addition to having a whole ton of money, they also, uh, this is worrisome because they also maintain the hate watch list. And that is a tool that they can put your name on or my name on or the name of our organizations to publicly shame anybody that disagrees with them. And as the story, uh, we get into the story, we show how they got Cody Wilson, you know, of Defense Distributed, the gentleman who uh, allowed uh, 3D printed gun plans to be downloaded from his website. And man, it's a threat. Nobody will do business with you once you're on their hate watch list. And, and I'd say nowadays it exists to raise funds. Uh, in 2019, they fired Dees, and the president at that time, a guy named Cohen, put out a very terse statement saying, you know, everybody's expected to follow the rules. Morris Dees is now no longer a member of the organization. And then accusations of sexual harassment, gender discrimination, and racism surfaced. And uh, there was an email that went out that was signed by quite a few SPLC staffers who said Dees was the man responsible um, also, I've spoken to a couple of former members. They said when a, any woman got hired at SPLC when Dees was there, be they five or 50, they all received the same talk about Dees and, you know, be careful around him. Don't don't be in a room alone with him. Uh, it, the, the organization uh, just fizzled basically because it did not it did not take care of the biggest problem because Morris Dees of course there you know he was a legend he's got tons of awards from the ABA from a whole bunch of organizations there were two Hollywood movies done on him nobody could imagine that he would do something untoward toward a female staffer but that's exactly what he did and uh, also they there's two types of employees in that organization you have the white professional staff, and then you have the black administrative or support staff. And they recently, uh, in December, they finally unionized. They they tr they voted to form a union after Dees was fired because of a toxic work environment at that place. And they were successful last month. So this this place is is rotten from the core. It started out with really good ideas, really good intentions. They had some great success, and now it's just. Uh, just a disgusting organization that has, of course, turned to gun control. Now, why is that? I mean, it just seems like they've lost their way. And, we, and I've seen other organizations do this, you know, with the ACLU, for example, their leadership changed. They started making a lot of money, I think around 2020, it was mostly because of Trump. And they started to back off of their support of the First Amendment. And it just seemed like there was a culture shift. Is that yeah. sort of what's going on here? Is that it's just yeah, been around, it's just been around too long? 
Yeah, there's basically two theories. I mean, they dabbled a bit uh, when Dees was in charge, but they didn't go whole hog anti-gun until after he was fired. The reasons why they pivoted aren't exactly known. Some say, you know, you take any liberal group that suddenly becomes leaderless. uh, They're going to do what's easy. They're going to get the low-hanging fruit default to guns. The other one is Dees always tended to go for high-profile cases. You know, he raised hell over a, a display of the Ten Commandments in Alabama, got a lot of notoriety for it. A lot of media picked it up. Uh, rather than using their $801 million in assets to do something good that would impact these minority communities that they say they support, such as homelessness or joblessness or crime, they're going to go after the, the big picture, the big flashy types of cases that'll garner more media attention. It's very sensational. And and that's probably what they're doing. One or two of those theories, if not both of them, are probably correct. But they they put out no printed material whatsoever saying we are going to guns now. And this is why. So, I mean, we're just it's supposition at best. Lee, I looked at the SPL website and I honestly didn't see anything about gun control. It's not in their mission statement. It's not listed in their core issues. But you're indicating in your report that they sort of have, have what you call a shadow mission, that they're turning toward gun control just very quietly. So how do you envision that rolling out? Do you think it's going to become more of a part of their mission going forward? Yeah, I definitely do. I don't know if they're going to admit it and acknowledge it publicly, but they're touching all the bases. They're railing against all of the main issues that the other gun grabbers, that the rest of the gun ban industry are hitting on. They oppose, they're opposed to stand-your-ground laws, uh, they don't, they, you know, they completely mischaracterize them. Like we said, they're opposed to homemade firearms, which they call ghost guns. They're going after the the uh, the UN, anybody who opposes the UN Arms Control Treaty. They would love to see the PLCAA, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, taken out. Um, but, you know, the, the big thing for me is they're, they're, they're hitting gun shows because D's wanted that, but you know they basically every 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 main issue that uh, the other groups Brady and Every Town and Giffords take on, these guys take on. So if you look at what they're doing, not what they say they're doing, they have become another gun control group because they're they're using the same practices that the other ones have, and they've partnered several times with Giffords in lawsuits. They really oppose uh, the, the the two big things. They oppose pro-gun rallies and they oppose arming teachers. And I would say most of SPLC's anti-gun agitprop has been focused on those two issues, pro-gun rallies and arming teachers. And they've even filed a couple of lawsuits uh, opposing arming school staff and, and volunteer teachers. So, I mean, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, the damn thing's a duck. They've gone completely anti-gun. Now, this is an organization that's structured similar to the ACLU, right? I mean, this is a legal action organization. They have offices in five states, around 250 employees, and 80 attorneys employed right. by the organization. So they're they're really loaded for bear. I mean, they, their purpose is to take you to court. Is that right? That's correct. And they've done that in uh, Florida and in Georgia so far. Uh, a couple of school districts, they have sued because they have decided uh, to arm their teachers. So they partnered with Giffords and they sued in, da- in Duval County, Florida, and in Cobb County, Georgia. Um, and they're trying to get that stopped uh, along with Giffords. And, you know, it's it, I, I know what, what uh, you think. I know what your members probably think. 
But being here in Florida after uh, Parkland shooting, you know, they had this huge commission established to study it and to make recommendations. And there were sheriffs, chiefs of police, educators, child child safety advocates, school board members, and two dads of two kids who were killed on the commission. And they recommended arming teachers. Uh, and they didn't make any bones about it. And Giffords is opposed to that. Once one of the school districts tried to do that, they filed suit. And th- their suit is uh, frivolous at best. Um, they, they're, they're citing Florida law, which says you have to you have to be a law enforcement officer to carry a firearm on school property. But that it, that was overtaken by events with the passage of the Parkland bill. Uh, oh, and then they say, well, you can have a school safety officer, but you don't have to give them a gun. Um, I mean, frivolous, nonsensical, uh, you know, working at Second Amendment Foundation, I'm used to some pretty damn good lawsuits, but uh, I don't think their attorneys know what they're doing at uh, SPLC. Well, that sounds very familiar because that's exactly what happened in Ohio. It was the Everytown lawyers who basically came into the state and we had armed teachers all over the state, you know, largely in rural areas, but it was a pretty, pretty well-established program called Faster Saves Lives. And then these Everytown lawyers came in, initiated a lawsuit, and got the Supreme Court somehow to reinterpret the law, basically like you said that happened in Florida, where uh, they they reinterpreted a line where it was talking about uh, law enforcement training. And the ruling was that if you're going to carry a firearm in a school, you have to have over 700 hours of training. Basically, you had to be a police officer. Right. So that that pretty much just put the kibosh on every single teacher or administrator or anyone other than a cop because there's no way that a teacher is going to go through 700 hours of training, most of which has nothing to do with stopping a killer in a school. Right. But uh, fortunately, we passed legislation. We got that changed. But it really caused a lot of turmoil in the state. So, you know, exact same scenario uh, that happened here. And and we eventually defeated it. Well, we have the Guardian program here in Florida, and that has worked tremendously well. They're not teachers. They're not cops. Most of them, I mean, damn near every one of them is a veteran of a combat arm with multiple deployments. So these are guys that know how to use deadly force and or have used deadly force. And so far, uh, the schools that have Guardians in them, not one of them has seen any kind of mass shooting. Well, I think that what that's really about and, and what I preached from the beginning was that it had nothing to do with the guns. It had nothing to do with the training or safety in school. They were just smart enough to realize that if you had teachers armed in school, basically concealed carrying in school, they knew that that was going to be successful. And they did not want kids to learn that, hey, you know, carrying a gun for self-defense or to protect people actually works. In other <laughs> words, this was this was all about... They, they were worried that there was going to be the wrong kind of education in the school, and that's why they were really upset. Oh, my uh, God. You know, this, I, I, because I, I think this is really like, you know, the Joe Camel kind of idea. They, they didn't want it because they knew it was going to be successful. Right. And, and so, you know, we, we had to play that game, get legislation passed, and, you know, turn all of that around. And so the programs are back in place, fortunately, but apparently they're doing the same thing in other states. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not going to work in Florida. So I want to talk a little bit more about this hate watch list and how this works, because, you know, this sort of sounds like the good housekeeping seal of approval, but in reverse. So so just describe what this list is, how it works, and, and what is it they do with it? 
Well, it's unfortunately, it's pretty easy to use on gun owners um, because, you know, we have strong opinions. And one of the opinions that most of us have is we don't want anybody infringing on our Second Amendment rights. So if if the once the government does that, uh, you know, we, we tend to get a little upset, which in SPLC's view makes us anti-government. Okay, so now we're anti-government. Well, they always add the word extremist to every label they use. So now anybody who's opposed to infringing on the Second Amendment is an anti-government extremist. Then you're on the hate watch list. Your your photos out there. You're in. You're splashed all over the media, and then you're tied or tarred uh, and compared to real anti-government extremists like the Klan, like Timothy McVeigh, um, and, and then you're labeled and then you're marginalized. So, I mean, if you don't think it can happen, like I said, ask Cody Wilson. Uh, he got hit hard by this. So you're publicly shamed. Nobody will do business with you. Now, they have had some expensive mistakes. Um, they they took a, a Muslim guy who was a reformist Muslim, and they put him in there as an anti-Muslim. And he ended up suing, and he got $3.75 million and an apology. And there have been other mistakes uh, in addition to that list. But, of course, you know, that takes years in courts to fix. Um, also, uh, th their opinions are pretty bad, too. Uh, it wasn't on the hate watch list, but in, in 2012, here in Polk County, Florida, for whatever reason, they came after the sheriff's department up there. Sheriff Grady Judd was a good Second Amendment advocate. And they said that his juvenile detention facility was violating the civil rights of children. Well, Grady had to, you know, spent a million bucks defending that in court. The judge saw for the sheriff, kicked the lawsuit out, saying none of these bad conditions that SPL said were, were in there were true, uh, basically dismissed the case. Unfortunately, uh, that cost the taxpayers of Polk County. It's not a wealthy county. It's not Miami-Dade. It's not Tampa. That cost them a million dollars in taxpayer money. So, I mean, the, the group, the, the harm that this group can do because of their financing is incredible. So I often see every town information because they pump out a lot of statistical information and reports, press releases. I see that stuff in the media frequently. Is the uh, SPLC, is their information like people who are on the hate watch list, does that show up in media reports a lot? Yeah, every time they add somebody, they'll put out a press release. So-and-so added to the hate watch list, and the media laps it up. You know, they never think that, you know, this is this is very partisan. Name one organization, one liberal or, or democratic organization that's ever been added to the hate watch list. There aren't any. Okay, it's always used for organizations that are right of center. And it's it's sad, really, when you think about it. I mean, just just the way that they describe like Antifa, okay, uh, a terrorist organization, in my humble opinion. The SPLC defines it as a broad community-based movement composed of individuals organizing against racial and economic injustice. I mean, no mention of the fact they burned down cities or have committed terrorist acts or assaults. They almost make it sound pleasant uh, because it's a left-to-center organization. They save their vitriol for us on the right. Well, they claim to be nonpartisan, and yeah. they're, you know that's supposed to mean that they don't support one political party. Have you looked at their donations, for example, to see I who have, they're donating? Uh, as a group, as an organization, and then as D's. And I got to tell you, I mean, everything they do goes to the Democrats. D's is the same way. 
uh, personally, his campaign donations. He uh, supported John Kerry, John Edwards, Bill Clinton. I mean, the guy served as a finance director for on three presidential campaigns, George McGovern, Jimmy Carter, and Ed Kennedy. And, and Dees himself is anti-gun, we found out, too. There was a, a fledgling, and it wasn't, it was an anti-NRA group. Um, they said they were going to take on the NRA. He was, he joined a group. They they called him a founder. He wasn't really a founder. He joined another group and they was trying to get this one up and running. Thankfully, it has, uh, it has fallen by the wayside. Their websites are now defunct. But yeah, the organization, completely democratic. All their lobbying is in support of Democrats and Democratic ideals. They are not nonpartisan. They never have been. So what are they actually doing with all that money? I, I mean, uh, you know, Buckeye Firearms Association invests a certain amount, you know, just in case a lawsuit comes around, in case something happens. You know, you have to have what we call rainy day funds. But, yeah. But over $800 million, I mean, you're closing in on a billion dollars. What are they doing with that money? Well, they're hoarding it and they're paying their top staff a hell of a lot of it, too. We still, to this day, don't know what Dees was making, but the president that replaced him is was making $413,000 a year. Their current president, three eighty six. dollars I mean, how their director of teaching tolerance is making 200000 But for a long time, they were hoarding it and they got dinged. Uh, a charity watchdog gave them an F grade because they had amassed six years of operating capital, and they kept it in the bank. And, and you know how nonprofits are supposed to work. I mean, the first thing I learned when, when I started working for one is it's not your money, okay? It's basically taxpayer money. And But in, in this case, it's it's like these treating it like a, a cash register. Well, have you looked at, you've obviously looked at their 990s, correct? Yeah. So, you know, that's going to tell you what they take in and what they spend. Do you know offhand what their expenditures are on programs? I don't have it here in front of me, but I know they have $801 million in assets. There the two things your, your members should know. They are invested in foreign corporations. However, they say their percentage of ownership of these corporations doesn't, doesn't rise to the reporting requirements. And they've got an endowment fund of $731 million. So, you know, technically, they should never have to fundraise again. Now, is that, um, now but, is that, that, is that an addition to the $801 yes, million? Correct. So, so they have $1.5 billion basically in their pocket. Yeah. Yeah, they are incredibly well healed. I mean, it would just be really interesting to see what they're actually spending the money on. There was a, a woman who wrote a column, uh, Jessica Prawl Smith, for USA Today. She worked for a conservative organization. Long story short, um, the, the guy got radicalized by reading SPLC literature and came in to shoot them. Uh, managed to, uh, security guard, unarmed security guard, took him down and uh, got shot in the arm for his valorous act. Uh, so she wrote this column on on how they're a fundraising machine, how they don't speak for the majority, how, you know, they used her column to fundraise on it. So any, I'm sure they're, they're fundraising right now on my story. Um, any negative, they'll turn into a positive and they'll try and raise money on it. Look what the right is saying about us now. So what's uh, what's the nightmare scenario here? Do you, do you think that the SPLC actually is going to turn toward gun control or is this just something they're dabbling with? Because they really don't know what to do at this point. What's what's I think in their future? Already made the turn, and I think twenty twenty three is going to see them really break out. 
And that is the nightmare scenario. I mean, you know what runs Washington, what fuels Washington is campaign donations. And these people could just flood the zone with money. And and to me, that's incredibly scary because they don't care. Um, I mean, we like you said earlier, we thought every town was going to be the big, the huge organization because of uh, Michael Bloomberg's money. But, but I mean, this makes Bloomberg's organization pale by comparison. So what kind of uh, partnerships could they form with some of these other organizations? Because, you know, you know, we did have a conversation. I remember you and I talking about this where, you know, Bloomberg is kind of getting on in years and he's got billions of dollars. He, he might just put it in his will that he's going to give every town, you know, $10 billion. And, you know, God knows what they could do with that kind of money. Do you think the SPLC could start to partner with the other organizations offering law services and uh, just enabling all of them to just, you know, crush gun rights across the country? Well, they've already partnered with Giffords. I have yet to find any partnerships with every town or any of the other astro, any of other Bloomberg's other astroturf groups. But they've already partnered with Giffords in. Uh, they've written some position papers with them, and then they've done some actual lawsuits, like the 2018 suit in Duval County, Florida, was done in conjunction with Giffords, and the suit in Georgia, Cobb County, Georgia, that was also done with Giffords. So I think Giffords has uh, boots on the ground how to file these suits. Um, these anti-gun suits, but once SPLC picks that up, they'll probably be filing them themselves. And money is not an object. That's the that's the huge scary part. So I think we're going to see uh, an increase in lawfare come led by this organization. I hope to God I'm wrong, Dean. So how would they justify doing this? Because they are essentially a civil rights organization. Despite the fact that they might not like the Second Amendment, that is a civil right. I mean, it's listed right in the Bill of Rights. How do they justify it? It's not part of their mission. No, it uh, certainly and- isn't. And I've gone through their mission statements, their their core ideas, the pillars, what they call it. There is nothing. There's no wiggle room in any of these uh, as far as gun control goes. So I think they're just going to do it and hope their members will support them because, you know, most of their members are left of center and they're part of that guns are bad crowd. I don't think they anticipate any blowback from their members or their donors. So they're just going to go full steam ahead with it. Well, we're going to have to keep a watch on that. We've seen other organizations that, you know, gaslight people purely for fundraising. But at some point, you think that members are going to find out about that amount of, you know, if they if they truly have about $1.5 billion that they just have in their back pocket, somebody eventually could sue them, you know, for, well, for, I, for not properly using that money. I think the, that's exactly what needs to happen, but I think that lawsuit has to come from the federal government. Um, a gentleman who used to work at the Montgomery paper, the Deez's local paper there in uh, Montgomery, uh, Alabama, the Montgomery Advertiser, th- wrote a column shortly after he was fired, and it was published by the Washington Post. His name is Jim Tharp, um, and he's calling on the, the federal government, specifically the IRS and the U.S. DOJ's Civil Rights Division, to investigate the SPLC, and I think that that could bear some merit. Because clearly, you know as well as I do how easy it is to lose your nonprofit status. Yeah. I mean, this, this sounds a lot like Black Lives Matter, you know, where yeah. they, they suddenly had a giant influx of money. They weren't really prepared for that. And nobody knows now, you know, where is that money? What are they doing with it? 
and one of the founders was buying homes, and nobody can really explain what's going on. It sounds like there might be something similar going on here. You know, money really does corrupt when you have so much of it. I, I just I just have to think that somebody's looking into that, and uh, you know, the, another shoe is about to drop. I hope so, and I, specifically, I hope they look at how they've treated their black uh, administrative support staff too, um, because that was clearly unconscionable. Uh, they were treating them like second-class citizens. They were using racial slurs around them in a, in an alleged civil rights organization. Um, that's about as low as you can get. They clearly had or have a pattern and practice of civil rights abuse of their of their ad- admin staff. Well, again, we'll have to keep a watch on this. It's not something we've reported on, but I think we're, we're going to need to start watching them closely to see what they're really up to. Just one final question. What do you think the possibility is that they will not do gun control directly using their name, but they'll create another organization that they will fund? So in other words, brand another organization to come out and do this kind of stuff. I think if they do that, rather than branding a new one, they'd probably go through Giffords because they have a long already multi-year partnership with Giffords. Not that Giffords needs the money, but you know, look what they could look what they could pass to them under the table. Uh, I know my boss, Alan Gottlieb, the executive vice president and founder of the Second Amendment Foundation. I mean, he hopes they return to their roots, quit all this crap, and and you know, like like he said in his quote in this story, the country can always use another true civil rights watchdog. We don't need another gun control group. We've got more than enough of those already. Well, I feel the same way about the ACLU. I used to support them many years ago because of the First Amendment. As did I. And they had a really principled stance on that. And I appreciated the fact that they really didn't care, you know, who they annoyed. They they would just do what they had to do because of principle. Today, they, they, they seem like a much more woke organization. The staff seem to have taken over. They're just not the same organization they used to be. And here we go, another organization that seems to be doing the same thing. So, uh, Lee, where can people read your original reporting, including this report that we're talking about? Very easy. Uh, I'm one of the other writers that went on Substack. So go to thegunwriter.substack.com. Thegunwriter.substack.com. Well, Lee, thanks for bringing this important information to our listeners. Keep up the great reporting, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Dean. I always enjoy it. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.